0: Hey everyone, this is Josh for episode 77 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm happy to be joined by Roman Zelichenko. He is the co-founder and CEO of Laborless. He is also the president, we'll call it, of Zelichenko Creative, which I'm happy to talk more about. He's also a former immigration lawyer and good friend of mine. Roman, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. I'm excited to chat with you and honored to be a guest. I'm I'm very happy to chat, Roman, because I actually know a half decent amount about your story. But what's fun about these episodes is I like to go that much deeper. Right. So, so we're going to get a good idea of uh, especially how you got started, which is always my most uh, favorite topic to discuss. But for those who might not have heard of you before, can you give us a little bit of background? You know, who is Roman and what is it you're focused on right now?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as you said, I'm a former immigration lawyer, U.S. immigration lawyer. Um, I say former only because I don't practice anymore. Um, You know, I'm still a licensed attorney. Uh, But while I was practicing uh, on the U.S. side, I was working very heavily on the H-1B visa. And um, as part of that work, I kind of just realized there was a lot of administrative work that I'd like to do. And I kind of was going on this, down this route of being more interested in the operational side of immigration law, of the practice, than the legal side. You know, I had questions about, How does the firm run and can this be automated? Can that be automated? Um, And so this seed sort of germinated in my head of starting uh, some kind of a tech company to automate at least part of the work that I was doing. So I kind of went on the circuitous route after being a lawyer um, and I worked in tech. I worked for some startups and then eventually launched my first company, which is Laborless. Um, And yeah, since then I've just been sort of working on trying to solve problems for the immigration industry whether immigration lawyers or, you know, what you would call inbound or global mobility, people who are sort of moving folks all around the world, just really trying to look at the industry and think, what are we missing? You know, what are the, what are the parts of our industry and business uh, that aren't really given as much attention as I, I think they ought to be given and, and sort of what, if anything, can I do about it? Um, so, yeah, right now I run an immigration tech startup in the, here in the U S in New York. Um, I run a creative agency that basically creates um, long-form content and short-form content, uh, particularly for social media, blogs, et cetera, for immigration lawyers and immigration-related companies. I've also started a community that I'm very happy uh, to have you a part of um, called GMI Rocket, which is Global Mobility and Immigration. And just the idea of it is just the Slack community for now, uh, where people get together and talk and ask questions and things like that about marketing, about you know, growth related things. And so the idea is just creating this ecosystem around our industry uh, and to, to, if I can, plug holes where
0: where I find them. Absolutely. And just so nobody's afraid, I will link to all those things uh, in the description. We'll we'll talk about it at the very end. Let's get into a little bit deeper into all of them. So so, Roman, one of the things that I love that you just said is what you're trying to do and, and why I think part of why you've been so successful so far with multiple endeavors is you try to solve problems, right? That's ultimately what business is. Can we go back to, you're working at the law firm, you're working in immigration law. Up until that point, had there been any kind of hints or, or, or endeavors that were kind of entrepreneurial? Or what do you think maybe kind of brought that first curiosity about?
1: Yeah, you know, <sighs> I think about this all the time because I wish I wanna I wanna be one of those not I wanna be but I've you know you hear podcasts and interviews of people who are like I was a business person since three years old you know I was like <laughs> selling my clean socks I don't know whatever you see that I, I was never really I don't remember being like that I, I should probably ask my parents to see if they have more evidence of that um, I always wanted to run a business though I think I was just. I was always like a macro level kind of person where I didn't care as much about the day-to-day, but I loved putting all the pieces together and strategizing and thinking about, um, you know, companies, I suppose, from the marketing side, the business side, the I love logos and names and and commercials and products and things like that. Um, When I was in college, I had this idea. I don't know if I've ever even talked about this in public. Not that it's a big deal. I just think it never really came up. Um, you know, as a college student I, or university student, I didn't do laundry all the time. And then, like, come Friday afternoon, it's like, oh, no, I, I need clean underwear, clean socks. I don't know if I have any. And so I had this idea um, to buy, But here's the thing. If you go to the store to buy clean underwear or socks, it's always like a pack of six, mm-hmm. um, you know, or four or whatever. It was never just one. And so I had this idea of bundling one pair of socks and one pair of underwear together to sell them in the university. And I wanted to call it one night stand. <laughs> and and I I, rec- I realize now, I mean, it was partly a joke. I mean, I realize now it's probably a little bit too offensive or like whatever, although maybe not. Uh, but there was obviously a double entendre there where like, you know, a one night stand. But then it's also like you have to stand for one night when you mm-hmm. go out. And so it just it gives you just enough clean underwear. and you know, socks to do that. Um, and I remember I, I told people that and I don't know, it wasn't even like good or bad, but I never, you know, it's, it's one thing to have ideas. It's, it's another thing to know people who like take action. You know, you hear people who start companies in college all the time. I never, I wasn't wired this way, right? Like I was getting a degree in financial economics and then I, I worked in, I interned in finance during, during college. Um, you know, I made okay money during the summer where like I didn't, you know i it was like what was to come right i was going to work in finance looking back on it salaries were not that big but as a college kid it's like you know you make a couple thousand dollars over the summer it's great Mm -hmm. um and then i decided i wanted to go to law school because i just didn't love finance and i double major ended up double majoring in philosophy as well but i was always career-minded so like one side of my brain had these fun business ideas and i just loved doing it and loved learning about business but the proactive side of my brain never thought that I would be the one especially at that stage of my life to try something like and the, the, the stupid thing is now it's like I was making a little bit of money over the summer and I always worked during college like I probably could have funded something you know a few hundred 500 bucks just to
0: try but I just I wasn't wired that way well um, and- I, I would almost come back and say most of us I, I don't think it's that you weren't wired that way I would argue that our society like we'll call it you know not to get too deep right away here but like modern day western society doesn't exactly make it easy or support kind of following that route right away right like most of us especially if you want to go to to law school and end up going to law school like we're pretty much taught to find out why you shouldn't do stuff right it's like that's our profession what are your thoughts on that and then how has what did you do to kind of shift out of that mindset?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on. I, I think you're right. Um, where I, When I say wired, you're you're absolutely right. I, w- I was wired this way because I was of my own accord coming up with business ideas. I mean, that wasn't mm-hmm. the only one that's just the most memorable for me. Well, um, and but now I was you've had- been you've been let out of the cage, right? And we've ex- seen yeah, what you've been able to do. Exactly. And like I had ideas of starting like restaurants, you know, I just, I don't know, all this crazy stuff. Um, and yeah, and I never did it and you're right. I was wired that way, but I had, I held myself back because I was like, I need to, I mean, you know, I'm also an immigrant. My family immigrated here. You don't, it, it's a risky thing to do to start a, a business. And I I think I was always wired and, or I was always led to believe that at least first and foremost, college education for sure, you know, you have to get a good job. Like you have to have some kind of foundation. I do believe that. Right. I think my risk profile was like a little bit of a combination of the two. Uh, but then so but my first real endeavor in doing uh, you know being entrepreneurial was in law school where um, you know it's just crazy how life works when you think about it. it's like wow everything if I could if I could have scripted this for myself it couldn't have been any better but at the time you don't think about these things as like one thing leading to the next Mm -hmm. Uh, you know I was in law school I I got into immigration law right in my first summer um, and you know three years of law school and so I started taking every class in immigration I really like went in hundred um, percent and I realized that so I didn't I actually didn't have really good grades in law school and so I didn't really get on like the mock trial team, like the moot court team you know I didn't mm-hmm. get on any of the journals I don't even think I tried uh, which is surprising because I love to write I just like the whole legal writing thing to me I hate it mm-hmm. I get it but I hate it uh, and so I didn't get in on, t- on those things and I was like well I need extracurriculars right you can't just like go to law school and do nothing you need class you need you know <laughs> clinics you need groups or something so I joined one student group where I was mentoring um, a high school student. And it was a really amazing experience. I'm still friends with my mentee. Um, he's a, we're a really wonderful young man. Um, and but with with respect to immigration, which is the field I sort of started to re- realize I was going into, there was no student group. Um, there were a couple of like very specific groups where people went and did court observation or things like that. There was no general interest group where we had like alumni come in and talk to us, or we had you know, um, panel discussions where we had just, you know, maybe trips or something like that. And so uh, this was my second year. I realized that didn't exist. And I was um, I was working. I was like treasurer of another student group. And I sort of got into the whole law school, you know, student group politics, if you will. And I was like, hold on a second. I could just start a group. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had friends. We were all in class together. We all kind of wanted a place to be because we, you know, we all wanted to practice immigration. And so that was my first true endeavor uh, where I started a group. I I went to Brooklyn law school. So I started a group called the Brooklyn law immigration society or bliss. And, you know, we got a few friends together and I was like, you know, I was the president and someone was vice president, treasurer, et cetera. And we drafted up a sort of constitution, if you will. And we had to like put it in for consideration Mm to the student government. I mean, you know, thankfully we got approved and we got, um, we got a uh, budget. The interesting thing though was that we got approved for the third year, my third year of school. And actually, by then, I had become the student government treasurer, which mm-hmm. was crazy because I was responsible for like a $130,000 budget, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't like the la- I was a treasurer of a group the semester before, and I didn't like the way the school's treasurer was doing everything. So I was like, I could do a better job. So I came in, you know, I wasn't in politics. I came in, I was like the, the new guy, whatever. Um, so I, it was funny cause it was also my, uh, my only real experience in politics where I was both applying to be or I, I was elected the treasurer, but then I was trying to get my own group in mm-hmm. and it didn't look good, you know, cause it looked like it was self-serving. So I was very clear about the fact that like I'm limiting our budget, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna give myself more budget than anyone else. It was like really interesting. Um, but, but creating that group and being a president of that group um, and I suppose being a treasurer of the school's you know, student body as well were really my first entrepreneurial endeavors because I, I had authority I made decisions I came up with ideas and I had to act on those ideas and so um, I think you know that kind of gave me the first you know it, it working gave me the first vote of confidence of like
0: I can have an idea and actually do it you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's super important. So what would you say either to students or, or, you know, younger people right now or even people that might be in management or, or, you know, positions of power that can hopefully make some change for the better? What's what's something we could change to bring, you know, take people out of the cage a little bit earlier, right? Because I, I don't want to say if you could go back and do it all over again, because I think we both know that you're in a great place now and, and you know, dealing with, with fate and destiny I don't think is a good idea. but what would you recommend to people that might be still in school or earlier on in the career and they think they might be wired like you as well. but the reality is what we're told to do is go to school, go get a good job, you know, work up the corporate ladder, et etc et etc. What's something someone could do to foster that other side of the uh, well of, of, of how they're wired internally? um
1: i think when i think back on it for me it was creating something that fit my risk profile at the time you know the reason i didn't put money into even something tiny was because i i wasn't willing to put money in anything Mm -hmm. i was barely putting money in myself like i don't buy nice stuff for myself you know i was always like saving saving you know a little bit of investing or whatever i don't know but Mm-hmm. I never I never lived beyond my means, you know. Um, and so my risk profile was such that I wouldn't at that time put any money into trying to start a business, even though in hindsight, starting any business is such an incredible, you know, confidence booster. And it's such an amazing experience. Um, but, you know, it, so the reason that I did the whole student government thing or, or, or student group thing is because there was no risk to it. There's no financial risk because to me, my risk profile was you know, I don't care, I'll give my time to things, but I didn't want to spend money. You know, other people think a different way. So I think if I was to go back, if I had someone at the time tell me, look, you have some inclinations, but something about you isn't allowing you to move forward. What is, think about what your risk profile is, what are you willing to give up right now, time or money, and then do anything that fits that risk profile at the time. Um, So for example, if you're not willing to give up money, but you are willing to give up time, You can one thing you can do is like start an Instagram page, for example, and try to get a thousand followers. And you know it doesn't even have to be that you're selling anything. It's the Mm -hmm. idea of like thinking about okay, how do I get people interested? How do I uh, how do I communicate the value that I'm bringing? How do I market, etc.? That's a in you know in a nutshell an entrepreneurial endeavor. And you know the beautiful thing is let's say you get there and you're like oh wow I have a thousand followers who love what I'm talking about. Um, I always talk about hiking. Maybe I can make some, you know, like reusable uh, hiking f- towels. I don't know, whatever, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. you know, and then you go to, your, and then all of a sudden you have a business, right? But you, mm-hmm. but you, you put in the money only after the likelihood of success matched matched your current risk profile. In the beginning, it was totally free. So I would say something like that. On the other hand, if you, you know, if you have some money that you want to spend or like you're you really don't want to wait for stuff but you really want this experience you know i I think everything deserves some time but if you have less time in your mind and more money then invest in a business and like go hire somebody to do the social media for you and do something else that's an amazing experience as well you can learn how to manage people etc so i think yeah figure out your risk profile and then take any kind of action in terms of creating something that matches that risk profile
0: that's a great, great answer and I, I totally agree. So let, let's move on, although I'll make a quick yeah. note. We have something, in, another thing in common, which is I also founded a club in my third year of law school called the Western Law Starcraft Club. Uh, but that you know, story might be for, uh, for off air or another time. I but Roman, so, so you, you're now working full time, right? You're an immigration lawyer. You've had a little bit of a taste of, of these different kind of entrepreneurial endeavors and now you're kind of questioning things, right? You're a lawyer, you have your f- full-time job, I'm sure family is proud, you know, everything seems great, and you're starting to question you know, about the, the different processes and, and how to improve operations. What was it that ultimately pushed you over the edge from where you were at that point to taking a, a step forward in that time of your career? Yeah, I mean, I had, I, I had ideas
1: while I was practicing, but I was not gonna leave the practice of law. Uh, but I was, you know, I, I, I ended up leaving the firm that I was at and came back to New York. I was, I was living in D.C. and working at a law firm. And um, I came back to New York. And while, when I was in New York, you know, I traveled for a bit. Uh, I wanted, needed to take some break. needed to take a break from all the long hours. And I basically, you know, started interviewing for jobs. And I had a couple of, I had three interviews lined up. I remember, I think it was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, back to back. So the first two were immigration law firm jobs. And the, and the third one was for a fintech company, not a startup, but, you mm-hmm. know, mid-sized, pretty big fintech company here in New York as a basically an internal consultant, like a business analyst. Um, and, you know, the first two I came in, I prepared, like I had all my, you know, buzzwords ready and all that kind of stuff. And um, I interviewed them and just, it, you know, they were, they were like, meh, it was lukewarm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they were too impressed with my work experience. I had only practiced for a little under a year and a half, Um, so you know, I whatever. I went to the, I I had those interviews, and then on the last interview, I kind of just was like, whatever. You know, I walked in, and you know, I obviously did enough research to know what the company does. It was actually my mom works at the company, but it's a big company, so it's not like she got me the job. Mm -hmm. It was just I knew about the company already. Uh, which I think probably is the only reason I got the job because they're like, nobody knows about us. The fact that you're interested is amazing. Uh, But, you know, it was one of those things where they were kind of like, you're a lawyer. What do you, why are you here? Right. I mean, very fair interview question. And I don't remember the answer I gave, but, you know, it was something along the lines of like, I don't think like a lawyer, I think in a business mindset, you know, and I, I gave him an honest answer. I didn't prepare any of it. And um, it's obvious, you know, that I, I got the job and I think that obviously shows kind of that it's not even about your experience or the buzz, buzzwords or anything like that. It, it, it's very probably very often clear when someone's passionate about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I suppose, I don't remember the interview, but I suppose I was clearly passionate enough about being in the business world, especially on the tech side. Um, so, you know, I took the job and I thought, look, whatever, worst case scenario, I'm still a lawyer, I can always go back, like, let me see what this is like. Um, you know, I thought about going into the legal side of this company and still practicing a little bit, or whatever. Like, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, and you know, I, I started working an amazing, amazing job opportunity where I learned. You know, as a business analyst, you basically—I mean, that's what you do—you analyze the business. You work. I worked with technology. I worked with marketing departments. I worked with technology departments. I was trained in, you know, Lean Six Sigma and. You know, I learned, um, I was, became much better at Excel, at PowerPoint, I mean, all the things that are really quite necessary when you're starting a company, especially if you're going the traditional like VC route and you want to fundraise and all that stuff. Like I learned all of those things um, and became super comfortable with that space. And I was still doing some volunteer work on the immigration side, just because, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's important to me. Uh, personally. And I was in a meeting one day. And um, okay, sorry, let me backtrack. I also started consulting for startups. So maybe this is where I can give a little bit of a lesson. I got this job in March. And by June, or even 8 May or something like that, I was already consulting for a startup. Uh, and the reason was, the second I got the job, you know, I went through the training, I worked for a couple of months. And all of a sudden, I'm not a lawyer anymore. I'm a lawyer slash business analyst. And so I contacted somebody I knew who was starting a company. And I was like, listen, here's what I'm doing. I love the the space you're in, it's in the travel space. I have my own ideas, I love to travel. Um, I'm a lawyer, I'm, I'm this. I wanna see what it's like to work at a startup. Is there anything I could do? I look over your contracts, like for free, anything. I just wanna like be in the room where mm-hmm. it happens, um, you know? And so I got that opportunity. So now all of a sudden I'm like working this corporate job, continuing to learn and, you know, learning more about the business side of things on a large scale and on this side i'm moonlighting you know like doing really anything as at this startup and i think those two experiences were really really key i think they fed off each other the corporate experience sort of helped me put together better you know presentations and such with the startup, but then the autonomy that I got in the startup and like how quickly what I did became visible to the world gave me a lot more confidence on the corporate side where things move much more slowly. And I felt like I don't need to, you know, I don't need to wait for you. I know that my work product is good and is good enough for the world. And so that gave me more confidence to like push for things that I wanted and on the corporate side, really good opportunity. And so the one thing that I'll mention is that I, the, the, what really kicked off my idea in terms of me, um, realizing that I have what it takes to build a company was that at the corporate job, I was in a meeting with like our foreign legal staff, right. It's a financial technology company. And we were talking to, um, legal counsel, like in Europe or something, because some regulation had just come out and our, you know, our company, the product team, you know technology and marketing we're talking to legal saying like when can you get can, when can you finish reading through this thing to tell us what exactly it says so that we can build a solution in response to that and i was like hold on a second i mean there's so many different ways of building technology but i was like wait so the way in part that this company is building products is in response to legal like you know le- regulatory language and I think that to me was a mind blowing thing because in my head, it was like, I have this, I've had this idea and I have no idea where to start. Um, but I don't need to know where to start. Where, What I need to do is I need to take the, the language, like the legal language that underpins my idea. Right. Um, and then just turn that into my business requirements. Like that was such a pivotal moment for me where I was like, I don't need to learn how to build a product. I just need to translate the legal terminology into something that, that you know, a, a technology person can understand to, to build it. And that was like that was the thing that set it off and said, all right, I'm actually going to take this idea seriously now.
0: Got it. And is that the idea that is now uh, today laborless? Yep. So so uh, awesome <laughs> for those watching. Yeah. Roman is uh, is pimping the labor, the laborless T-shirt and um, so, Roman, well, one thing that I wanted to know was throughout those two experiences working in corporate and, and the moonlighting, how, you know, what was where was immigration? Was it still you, you mentioned you were volunteering? Was the plan always to go back? Did you, is, did you need that moment to kind of set it free or, or what was the involvement there?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was always in the back of my mind as a good idea. Um, but I knew that I knew that no one was doing it. So you know, when you're when you haven't started anything before, and um, you 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 kind of survey the landscape of your market, target market, and you realize that your idea hasn't been implemented, it feels like a no brainer to you. But it's like, why hasn't anyone done this before? Mm-hmm. It must be a horrible idea, or there's something missing, right? Um, and so I think the interim step in between really going into launching laborless and moonlighting for this one company was that there was another startup that was building immigration tech and i found them like on facebook through a group i made and they said hey do we need somebody that knows immigration to help out and i was like holy cow this is perfect Mm -hmm. because i have tech experience now i've worked with startups i obviously have immigration law experience let me try to help this company so i started uh, the company doesn't exist anymore but i started working with them a little bit, they're paying me like 20 bucks an hour, which I was really wished I was making more. But you know, it's like at that time I was like, holy, like, wow, someone's paying me money (laughs) because the other startup I was not getting paid anything. I was like, I really am like a side, I'm like a consultant. It's a a real consultant. It was amazing. Um, And you know, I think that was, and I remember in my my interview with them, uh, I gave them my idea basically as like proof that I've thought about immigration in an innovative way. And they were like, yeah, no, that's cool. Like, that's interesting. It was actually an H-1B visa automation tool of like the visa process. And my idea was automation on the compliance side of the H-1B visa. So it was very parallel. So I was like, this is amazing. I'm gonna work here. Uh, You know, this company is gonna be big. I'm gonna grow. And then I'm gonna take my idea, implement it. It'll be awesome. And, you know, they kind of brushed my idea aside, not because it was bad, but because like they're already growing and they wanted to hire me for something specific. Um, and so the fact that I had this idea was nice, but they weren't going to derail their you know product launch because I, some kid came in with this idea. Um, but nevertheless, I did work with them for about a summer and, you know, three or four months or something. And um, that was a really good experience too, because I got to see the startup side on the, um, on the, you know, on the immigration, in the immigration space. And uh, while the company didn't end up, you know, really going too far. It was still a really wonderful idea. And actually it was interesting because when I ended up launching Laborless, I made sure to go back and say, like, look, by the way, I'm launching my own immigration tech company. Um, it is based on this idea that is my idea that I mentioned to you all. Like, here are emails and, the, you know, and like blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to clear that up because, you know, I'm a lawyer so I want to like make sure that there's no potential issue down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, so like working with that with that small immigration tech startup, Uh, gave me a little bit more of the push as well. And I think once I stopped working with them, I still hadn't gone off on my own, but once I stopped working with them, I think around then that's when that like meeting with those legal people in a company uh, happened and like all of the stars aligned. And I was like, all right, I've had this experience. I'm, you know, I'm saving money on the corporate side. I have the idea and like I know how to go forward with this because I'm seeing it happen in real time at this large company. And so that's when I started like really putting pen to paper, writing my own requirements down, like mapping it out, make, you know, creating a flowchart and then I started looking for a co-founder.
0: Got it. And so I want to hear about how that transition went, but to kind of summarize the last few minutes Roman, is is it fair to say that If you were to be talking to someone who is early on in their career and they, you know, maybe they had just left their version of the immigration firm that you were working at, that you would just say, go try stuff that you that seems interesting to you because you didn't you know, you didn't say, hey, I want to work for a financial tech company. You just kind of found some opportunities that you thought were in line with where you wanted to go and uh, multiple of them and it kind of eventually led you to where you are now which seems to be the right direction is that a fair uh, takeaway yeah i think so i I was definitely applying to multiple jobs that were more operational
1: um analyst type roles in a technology or or startup space so yeah definitely it it was kind of like look i have the legal experience already and i have the business idea but i don't have the business knowledge and so i could have gone to business school and like you know, learned how to use Excel um, and done an internship, or I could have gotten a job, you know, I was lucky I got the job, which was essentially business school 101, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. that I was paid for. Uh, So yeah, definitely, I definitely would agree with that. Cool. And so you get the idea, you start going pen to paper, do you quit your job the next day? Or how does that, I'm I'm assuming you probably hung on to it for a while as you kind of made the transition. Uh, What was that like? And then what would you recommend to others who might be working full time jobs right now, also have a tech idea, maybe that they've kind of proven out a little bit and, and want to take more action on? Yeah. I
1: mean, I think this goes back to what I was saying before about your risk profile. I was not ready to quit my job because I didn't see a next, I didn't see a definite next step. And I was kind of like, I'm going to keep doing this at night and on the weekends and until I am much more confident that what I, that my next step is um, I'm going to be prudent. Uh, and so, yeah, I kept working. I actually continued to grow in the company. Uh, you know, I got like a promotion. I got a, went to a different team, um, because, you know, whatever. And then that essentially what happened was the second team I went to, the work that I was doing there was just awful. Um, I ended up getting like, it was crazy because, you know, you're in corporate and it's like, you keep getting a raise, but then like you hate your work and it just mm-hmm. doesn't like, how does this not translate? But it just, you know, you come in, you're a body in the chair, you do the work, whether you hate it or love it, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but, you know, I was doing this work. They, I came into this role. And in fact, this role became very pivotal. It was an internal audit role. So it's a big fintech company that is very highly regulated by, you know, like various government and, and like pseudo governmental agencies here in the U S who audit the company every year. And so I was in internal audit, which essentially like is always continuously auditing the entire company to make sure that we plug any holes before the government comes or, you know, these, or these agencies come in and, and like ding us. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is really smart. I mean, every immigration firms suggest that companies do internal audits from their doc- you know, Like Everyone should really audit stuff once in a while. So this is a, this was a really good experience too, because I ended up going into an immigration compliance, you know, into that field with my startup. And so having worked on the internal audit side, I got to see what an audit looks like. And so, um, you know, how could my tech solution help with the audit process for, of an immigration department, you know, at a company. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, like I kept working in this, in this field, in this, um, at this job, and I was at the same time taking calls and like booking meetings and like just talking to many, many lawyers and asking them, hey, look, I have this idea what do you think? Is it crazy? And a lot of them, you know, some of them are skeptical, but I think I spoke to enough that thought it was a decent idea that, um, I kind of eventually was like, you know what, I'm booking a lot of calls that are midday and like, I can only sneak off for a half hour call so many times or like not eat lunch. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm still getting paid and like, I have to do work here. Uh, and so I I decided at some point that I'm going to leave, but I will say though, that I was actually trying to continue to get a promotion because I was still not so sure. And like, it never felt, you know, it was scary to think that I'm going to quit my job and do my own thing. Right. So I, I kept trying to get, and it's funny because really what happened was that I tried to get a promotion again. The company told me it was too soon. I had only been in my previous role for like nine, you know, eight months or something. And I told HR, I was like, look, I want to, I want this new role. I'm underutilized. I'm a lawyer. Like, you know, I get it. I'm like a lower level analyst here, but I'm a lawyer. Um, This team wants me like, I get it. You want, you need people to stay for a year, but come on. I, I, I know the deal. You know, the deal just bend the rules a little bit and get, and they were like, look, sorry, you're going to have to wait until the year is up and then come back. And I was, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to sit at this job that I don't like anymore. Um, I, so I just kind of gave in my notice. Um, I was also like not doing well at my job because I just didn't like it so much. I'm right. pretty sure they were, about, they were, they were putting me on track to like fire me too. Uh, so I was like, you know, this is the right time. I'm not getting the, I'm not moving to the team I want. My current team is just not, I'm not happy. Um, and you know, the demands for my potential startup are growing and it this, it just felt like the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, like continuing to stay just felt like I'd be dragging my feet. And to be fair, I gave six weeks notice uh, because I wanted to transition out. And like, you know, I, I, I didn't have to leave necessarily for anything new. I was starting my own thing and I, it gave me a lot of time to train the new person. So it was really a wonderful experience. I mean, overall, that the company I worked for was just a really, really good experience. Um, you know, the way it turned out with my last role was just luck of the draw with any company, but I saved money and I only quit my job when it really felt like the right thing to do. Let me tell you though, as soon as I decided I wanted to do something, I was like waiting for the day that I could quit my job. And I think a lot of people might feel this way who are in corporate and don't want to be in corporate. Cause like, you know, you just daydream of that freedom of, you know, you want to come in and be like, screw you guys. And just like, you know, obviously it doesn't happen that way, but you kind of fantasize. Yeah, just throw everything off the table. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so yeah, I hope that answered the question. Basically it just was based on, again, my risk profile thinking like I wanted to, I wanted to be pushed up against the wall where I felt like it was the only thing to do. And I continued to work a little bit to save a bit more money before I, I really left.
0: For sure. And, and what I really liked in there too, that I want to highlight and maybe go a little bit deeper on is you. the first, maybe one of the first things you started doing is booking a lot of calls, talking to a lot of lawyers trying to figure out is this a good idea? I think whether you're starting a tech company or any other type of, you know, product service business, that's a that's the best first step. What would you advise people to do maybe they're like you, they were they're working a full-time job or they're they just quit their job, they're starting something brand new. What do you think the first one or two steps are in terms of actually, you know, pen to paper starting a business or just even evaluating whether your business is the right one or not.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, for me it was a bit unique because I was trying to solve a problem that I had. And what I wanted to do was talk to other people like me, meaning other immigration lawyers to see if I was crazy or if other people felt the same way. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was lucky because at least I had the kernel of knowledge that um, I was at least solving my personal problem. So there's Mm -hmm. that piece. If you have that, I think um, if you're solving your own problem, for some people that's enough just to say I want to solve my specific problem. For other people, they want to have a little bit more confidence so they might ask around. If you aren't solving a problem you personally had but maybe a problem you've heard of or a problem you perhaps envisioned and said, you know, I don't have a dog, but man, dog leashes are bad and I want to create a better dog leash, then you you really want to talk to dog owners to see Mm -hmm. if they're having a problem with their dog leash or even if they're not, if your solution might be something that they would be really interested in and consider. Um, So I think, you know, you would probably call that product market fit or at least as some kind of validation
0: of your idea. But uh, I think that would be a really important first step. Absolutely. And then you also mentioned starting to look for a co-founder. Obviously, you were trying to start a tech company. So I'm assuming or correct me if I'm wrong, were you looking for a tech co-founder? And yeah. or how were you kind of approaching the technical side of the business?
1: Yeah, I was definitely looking for a tech co-founder. Um, I, did, I wanted somebody who was going to basically educate me on the technology side and could be a partner in that sense. Um, one of the startups that I was doing a little bit of consulting for was outsourcing their dev work, which is fine. A lot of people do it. Uh, but, you know, it was a mobile app. It was it was fairly the, the concept was fairly simple and um, you just really need someone to manage the team. Also, they had a little bit more capital than I did, and I didn't wanna like go out and raise money because I just had no idea if this was gonna work. So what I really wanted was somebody who I could explain the idea to, who I can talk to, and you know, who I could could translate the legal um, process or the compliance process to who would then build it out. So um, that allowed me to not have to put up, you know, a ton of capital for an engineering team, and it also allowed me to have someone who would be a sounding board because as I tell them, you know, or explain to them what the process is on the legal side, they might say, okay, why don't we do it like this on the technology side? That's something I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of. And so it was really nice to have that versus I think, I mean, I haven't fully led uh, an outsource team, but I would imagine with an outsource team, while they might have a manager or like a project manager there. They're really more so taking your orders rather than really critically being, you know, working as a partner. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that mm-hmm. was a little bit more of my experience. And, and I wanted somebody who would really push back and give me their thoughts and really felt that it was, you know, that they were in it just like I was.
0: Yeah, I think you can definitely say a lot to having someone else in your corner kind of with the same motivation and incentives uh, and, and potential upside to share in as well and so what were those first six months like Roman when you when you finally decided to quit your job probably my most interesting my, the, the topic I'm most interested in talking about with all of my guests is you pull the trigger right you quit the job you rip the band-aid whatever it may be what were those first six months and, and what would you say you know were, were one or two lessons or pieces of advice you could give to other people who are about to pull that trigger or rip that band-aid um,
1: first of all, I, I, my last day of work was June 30th, July 1st. I got on, um, I got on and, oh man, I forget the airline. I'm so, I'm so embarrassed. I got on a flight to Toronto and I went, oh, and cool. spent, uh, I went and spent independence day, I guess your independence day too, up in, um, up in like cottage country, which is really amazing. Uh, so that was me, like that was like a pure. You know, I was going with friends, but it was like a pure celebration of like mm-hmm. freedom, yeah. uh, you know. And in and so many ways, and yeah. I mean, I traveled quite a bit. I actually went. I, I went to Canada a couple times that that year, and um, I traveled all over. And I was working remotely, you know. It was one of those things where I was like, I'm I'm free, mm-hmm. and I, everything I'm doing is remote, and so I could live anywhere. And I mean, not that I went to live anywhere, but you know, I went to visit some relatives. Um, I went to visit friends, etc. So That was really cool. I had, you know, I had some savings, nothing crazy, but I had some money saved up. I was writing articles for a, um, a video magazine, and I had been doing this for a while. But at that time, I started pitching them longer articles that they were paying me like 400 bucks for, which was decent. Um, and so I already had a couple of article ideas lined up. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to write one or two articles a month, and then, you know, maybe something else and survive for at least X months to, until I can figure something else out, or until the company starts making money. I think I really wanted to fundraise at the time. Um, we ended up, we still haven't fundraised, but those first six months, my recommendation for someone who, if well, my recommendation for myself back then um, was would be make sure that you have some kind of consistent part-time work lined up, because. Mm-hmm being a freelance writer for like a small magazine that doesn't pay much and takes a while to get paid was in my mind at the time good enough, but like now I know better. So I would have, you know, lined up some kind of like five hours a week consulting gig, something that's consistent that I can at least rely on so that I don't have to deplete. Cause I ended up depleting all of my savings and I would not, I would rather not have done that. So that would be my recommendation is like line something, anything up, Even if it's like working in a restaurant, just something consistent where you can um, make, you know, because what happens is I ended up when my money went down really low, I ended up spending more time worrying about whether I'm going to make, you know, my pay my bills than worrying about the company. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to save, you know, if my, if my, if my savings is staying the same um, and I'm not living a lavish lifestyle, but I'm just making my, you know, breaking even and get my bare minimum, that would have been perfect at the time. Um, But I was below that. And so it ended up being that I was stressing and worrying so much about making enough money every month that like it hurt my productivity in terms of, you know, my startup. So that would be the thing that I would recommend it. I'm sure it's different for everyone. If you have more money saved up, you might have more of a runway in terms of, you know, traveling, figuring stuff out. Um, I ended up having less of a runway than I thought. So I would just say, like, be a little bit more thoughtful even though you already think you are just double check and make sure that you're good and that if, if you're not good line something up
0: absolutely yeah it's, it's great advice and, and the personal financial runway is, is so important one so you can pay your bills two so you can sleep better at night right there's a lot of value in that i, I can definitely relate to that so roman i mean i, I knew from the get-go we were going to need more time than we already had so let's let's Keep chugging here, but I want to probably cover more ground than I would have liked to in a, in a small amount of time. How has laborless evolved since then? Right, it's come a heck of a long way. Can you kind of give us a summary for the evolution of laborless since then, and maybe you know, looking back, what were some of the key points to the journey or or key lessons that you've taken away?
1: Yeah. So. You know, on the one hand, not a lot has changed because the because the product still does what it used to, just better. And we have more features. We have more clients. Um, you know, we're making you know the companies the, the business is a bit bigger. Um, but the reality is, I think from what we were building, we were a little bit ahead of where the market was. And the market being in U.S. immigration lawyers and in house teams. Um, so really, the evolution has been in the marketing side of things. I think I've really, really tried to, and we could have a whole nother episode about content marketing and how important that is for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I came into an industry, not that it was not, not a hot industry where like I was another player. I basically came into a cold industry in the sense that a lot of people didn't want what I was selling, even though I knew that it was solving their problem because of everything from law firms not being very open to, you know, new tech to me being relatively small and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think since then I've really put a lot of effort into, you know, content marketing and social media, particularly on LinkedIn. That's where sort of my, you know, um, where I do all most of my social media. Um, so I think since since then we've really become a much bigger brand in our industry. We're mm-hmm. still a startup, very much a startup, but like, you know, people know us. We have many more clients. We've got bigger clients. You know, we're we're on panels and things like that. So I think that's been really really huge. Um, but I think the, you know, cause this is the solopreneur grind. So I, I actually, I think laborless might not be as interesting to people. Maybe it is, but I'm not a solopreneur because I have a co-founder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a solopreneur for like you know, six months to a year where I was really coming up with the idea. But once I had a co-founder, I was no longer a solopreneur. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is though, remember I was writing articles and doing like, whatever random stuff I, I ended up working at a VC firm part-time for like three months. Before that, I worked at a dating app for like nine months, uh, which was an amazing experience. All of this part-time, like right? All of this as I was building laborless, but you know, this was the point, like I said, where my freelance stuff wasn't doing well. And I, and I was like, all right, I need a kind of, I need a job, but I'm not going to get a full-time job. So it was harder than I actually, I thought to get a part-time job, but I ended up getting good, good roles. And I was, um, you know, was really working part. It was kind of like, I had jobs again, right? Like they were great because there were startups and whatever, but, um, it was like, I had jobs again. And so I, I and I didn't want to be there. <clears throat> and so I think eventually where the solopreneur piece comes in is, you know, the second company that I started, which is that I was doing a lot of work for laborless. I was writing a lot of content for immigration, et cetera. And I started getting approached by and, or like started pitching, other immigration companies to write their blogs for them. Right. I've been a published writer in a magazine for years. Um, I was doing work on the side and, uh, I kind of wanted a little bit more freedom. So I started, I don't remember exactly which job I did first, but, you know, I had like one or two small clients. Um, one of them who I still keep in touch with, he basically, you know, like I did a lot of work, d- different, different types of jobs for him. Um, and he, you know, like, It was one of those things where, um, I guess, when I realized that there's a lot more demand in the immigration market for freelance writing and things like that, uh, I started thinking to myself, okay, maybe I can scale this business, at least to pay for my bills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of that's what I did. I think a whole nother really interesting conversation we might have, if I may, uh, just for a minute, talk about this, because to me, it's really, it was really important is how to price your services as a freelancer, as a consultant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will be very clear with people. I started off doing that, working for free as a consultant, right? The first job that I was paid for as a consultant was, remember I mentioned that small immigration tech startup, they were paying me 20 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whatever, fine. You know, it's something and it's experience. Um, The next job that I got doing this kind of consulting work was, um, another immigration tech startup they had raised a little bit of VC money so they had some cash but I wasn't even thinking about it I was just like you know let me put up another number out there so I ended up quoting myself at 65 dollars an hour because honestly I was writing I mean I'm a lawyer like I'm I was writing blogs that really required my legal knowledge mm-hmm. and so I thought that it my my work was valued way more than twenty dollars an hour um, but you know I didn't have the confidence so this at this for this second company I remember I'll never forget it was one of those things where like you know how like you're a teenager and you want to ask a girl out on through like AOL Instant Messenger? Yeah. And you write, you write on the chat box, you write like, Will you go out with me or something? And then it's like scary to press the enter button. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where like I was looking at it and I'm like and I'm rereading and rereading, and I'm like, all right, screw it. And I just just turned away and like pressed enter or whatever, pressed send. Mm-hmm. Um and and I asked them to, you know, I, I quoted myself at sixty-five dollars an hour, which was you know, 3X what I was getting before, still nothing compared to what a freelancer with a legal background usually makes. um, But nevertheless, and they were like, yeah, of course, sure. Like didn't (laughs) even blink, you know, and, and that, that was also a pivotal moment for me where I was like, whoa, like money and the way you price yourself and just price and fees in general is so subjective. I mean, it, it is just, you realize that your relationship with money is based so much on, I think what you were saying in the beginning, what society sort of tells us, right? Like typically it's like your salary Mm -hmm. is your worth. Um, And if you do really, really good work at work, then maybe you're in the runnings for a potential bonus. Whereas if you run your own business, if you do a lot more work, that is directly correlated to how much money you make. I mean, Mm -hmm. assuming you're not totally messing up. So I think that was really important where I, I just, Put myself out there and said, "No, I deserve more. Let me try. Worst case, they say no, and I bargained down. And they said yes. And then the next person I worked with, I pushed it up a little bit more. And the next person, I pushed pushed it up a little bit more. And it was one of those things where, like, that was a really pivotal moment for me because I realized, okay, if I can figure out a way to get to a price point where I don't, where I feel comfortable, where I feel like it's the amount of money that I deserve, right? Um, but it isn't so much where people will say no." then I could purely work for myself, not have to have part-time jobs, and then focus on, you know, Laborless, my, my tech startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, I had a couple of clients, you know, I was just barely making whatever, um, you know, paying my bills, etc. And so, I, I, I remember I had this one client who wanted some extra work for me, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to send them a new, um, you know, invoice or, like, proposal. And I really want to have a logo. Like I'm, I'm tired of sending it from my personal email with no logo, like no company. So I decided to create Zelachenko Creative, right? Um, I want to do consulting or whatever, but really it's about being creative. And I, I love to create things with words and such. So, and that was this year, mm-hmm. I think it was March that it launched or February. And I sent it to him, you know I sent it to the client and we ended up not doing that particular project together. But because I created this website and this new brand, just for the sake of like my one or two you know, clients just to kind of legitimize myself rather than before I was just sending them stuff through my personal email with not, no branding, um, I put it out there. And of course I'm already active on LinkedIn. And so I wrote like, hey, I'm really excited to announce, you know, I've been doing a little bit of work here and there for immigration firms and companies doing writing blog posts and social media. And I have launched this company. Um and just, you know, if you have any questions or whatever, and dude, it's blown up, like completely blown up. And, And I realized that, you know, these one or two clients, the reason that I had them or three clients was because they knew about me. And the reality was there was so much more demand for this type of work in our industry. It's just that nobody else knew that I was doing it and nobody else really was doing it. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I put this out there, I got a lot of interest in terms of, can you help me with LinkedIn? Can you help me with writing and all this kind of stuff? And so that is the true solopreneur grind of mine, where like it was just years and years and years in the making. I mean, I used to write for this magazine. I have all the printed copies here. When I was, when I was in law school, when I started in college, when I was in law school, when I was practicing law, when I was, when I was working in tech, all this stuff, like on top of full-time job and internships, I was writing for a magazine. Um, and they were barely paying me, but in my head I was like, I love to write, I'm honing a really practical skill. And one day this will turn into something, I'll write a book or I don't know, whatever. And so this was the kind of thing where like I was grinding this whole time and then I turned it into a company. And as soon as I flipped the switch, everyone started coming in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it was a really, really interesting moment. And now it's like a legitimate company where like I have people working for me and, and doing amazing work and helping me with writing and research and things like that. And, and it's been like six months or, or less.
0: Right. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a ton of lessons in that answer <laughs> and, and, and a few cut kind of, two parts that kind of relate, I think is, is the increased pricing and giving yourself more of that business image, right? Cause the funny, one of the funny things with pricing is, by charging 20 bucks an hour you're giving off the image that you only value yourself at 20 bucks an hour which is not all that much value right but maybe when you went to the startup and said hey i charge $65 an hour which was probably still below what you earned but at least was a little bit more reflective of the value they're actually getting and they're thinking oh wow that you know this guy's serious charges a good amount of money has a good background you know especially now you slap the logo on you put the name and uh, people, potential clients are thinking, you know, this, this guy's serious, uh, charges, you know, a little bit more. I'm going to get more value, right, because that's what we think in our heads. Uh, so a, a lot of messages there uh, and good takeaways regarding marketing, pricing. I mean, you and I could do a whole episode on that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, R- Roman, the last thing I want to ask you is how do you balance all this, right? And this is something that I always hmm. think about personally and and like to ask other people who like myself have a couple things on the go i mean i've kind of just narrowed it down now you know i mean you know i I work on visto and then i have the podcast on the side and uh we all know how important it can be to kind of focus on on one or two things you've obviously got a few on the go one of the great things being that they are all interconnected in, in one way or another right whether it be immigration and or marketing and or creative But what is your thought or output or approach to balance, right? How do you balance all these things, if that's even possible? uh, And what would you recommend to other people who may have a few things on the go and how they should approach it?
1: The honest answer is I don't have a good one. (laughs) I mean that. Um, I'm still learning very much how to balance it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I prioritize things as they come in and, um, you know, my main my main focus is my startup because that is a, you know, is a real legitimate. I can't outsource that. It is a technology company. We service clients, big law firms, you know, employers, and we help we we automate part of their compliance, your, their visa compliance. So it's really that's really important work, and um, that basically is always my, you know, the the top priority for me. Um, but realistically, I have two full time jobs. You know, I mean. So the balance is just kind of come taking in. It's kind of um you know it, it tends to be first in first out. I suppose mm-hmm. if you want to look at it from an accounting standpoint, with some with some outliers that you know like in anything else, if there's a fire that needs to be put out, um, I I put it out. I tend to do more of the, I guess I tend to do more of the laborless like the tech company stuff during the day because that's where I support clients and like answer emails and get on calls. And that has to be during work hours. And then any of my creative work, I tend to do either in during breaks if I have them or in the evenings and on weekends, you know, in advance of when they're due. So I suppose that like, you know, it depends on how you frame it. So if you run two companies, which one it's not that it's not, which one's the most important or which one brings in the most money or whatever. It's more about like, where's your, customer client support the, the most important and, and how do you leverage that so my create my clients that I write articles for I can get something to them by nine at 9 p.m and that's okay because they're they're also small businesses they're not nine to five like they'll answer my emails etc mm-hmm. um, and none of those things are pressing whereas like again compliance technology if there's if the system if there's a bug or something we need to figure it out right away I can't be like I'll get to it in, during the weekend. So I guess maybe that's a system of prioritization. But, you know, I hear people say, like, spend, you know, morning, you know, 9 a.m. to noon on one thing and then noon to five on another thing. Um, I don't really do that. And maybe that's a fault of mine. And, you know, we're all still learning and growing, but um, I probably should
0: work on it. Well, I I think a really important element, too, is is freedom, right? You have the freedom to evaluate what comes in and and order them or or prioritize them right if you were still working the nine to five that would have to be your priority for most of the nine to five so the fact that you have a couple of these different endeavors and also you call the shots for all of them is great right because it allows you it's all situational right we're all going to handle them a little bit differently you or i might have a few ways of handling them that are the same a few ways that are different and everyone's situation is a little bit different too. So you got to kind of put your own spin on it. But maybe one day we'll figure it out and and we'll both have a better answer. Uh, Anyways, Roman, this has been incredible. Uh, appreciate you sharing your story. I personally didn't know about some of those soirees into the different tech companies and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Can you please tell people, uh, just remind us again, where can they find you? Where can they find these specific companies if they want to check them out? And where can they follow you personally as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, and first of all, thank you. It's,
1: I love love chatting with you. And to your point, we can do a three hour like Joe Rogan podcast, you know, we'll, we'll get there when they're three hours long. Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, I'd love for anybody listening, if you're a lawyer, or entrepreneur, or whatever in the immigration space, reach out to me on, on LinkedIn for sure. Roman Zelchenko. Um, I do. I, I post on Instagram and Facebook as well. But LinkedIn is definitely my uh, my number one. And I think there you'll find all the information about me that you're looking for.
0: Absolutely. And I'll link to that specifically in the description, no matter whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast. Roman, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Appreciate your time. Hey everyone, Josh here checking in just one last time to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. I also wanted to say if you want even more of this business insight and motivation right to your inbox Monday through Friday, make sure to sign up for the Solopreneur Grind email list. What I did was I started a list to give solopreneurs a super quick email every Monday through Friday into your inbox. That's all it is. One quick quote to motivate you and help you get through the day because I know how tiring and long and difficult and stressful some of those solopreneur grinds can be. So if you're interested, sign up at the link in the description or solopreneurgrind.com and I hope to have you on the list. Thanks again. Take care.